That's what this series through James has been all about. Uh, How do we strengthen our faith uh, so that when we live, it's no surprise? And James has really helped us do that. And he's kind of uh, tucked himself into our lives. uh, And perhaps we've been challenged to try and live our trust and our faith in Jesus out in the real world a little bit better. Because we want to have our faith rock in the real world. I mean, if we're a church that wants to help people find and follow Jesus, then this is something that we have to follow through on. And James is saying, hey, you, you can't just say you have faith. You have to, to believe, yes, but you have to demonstrate that. You have to have some action steps in your life where faith is being shown. Now, I don't know about you, but some days, some days it feels like Uh, The world is rocking us, doesn't it? And they're they're using not just little rocks, they're using big rocks, right? Uh, They're they're throwing things at us. We're we're being oppressed. We, We feel like the weight of the world is on top of us. And so in those moments, we are trying to figure out, okay, what is our best response when we feel the pressure and the weight of the world, how is, it that, how is it that as people of faith, we ought to respond when we're being rocked hard? Have you ever had those? Uh, the good news for us is that uh, we're not the only church that's ever asked that question. You're not the only people that have ever asked the question, uh, when the world's rocking my world, uh, what in the world do I do? How do I respond well? What do I do? You see, there's, there's a guy, and his name was James, and he was pastor in this church, and he, he has left, and he's writing them back, and they're wondering, hey, how, how in the world do we, we handle this kind of oppression? When the weight of the world is upon us, what should we do? You see, his audience, they were being oppressed by rich people Uh, who were taking them aside and they were abusing and misusing them as servants and slaves. And things weren't going very well for them. And they want to know, well, well, what's the hope? How, 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 How should we respond to this? How do we faithfully live out our faith in such kinds of circumstances? So this sermon really is, is for anybody out there this morning. If you have ever felt depressed... If you've ever felt depressed, if there's a season in your life where you go through and you just don't want to wake out of bed, you don't want your feet to hit the floor. If for whatever reason, you, you've just decided, like, I, I'm having a hard time, then I think that you need to listen to what James has to say. If this morning you, you have ever had some heartache, it's the kind of heartache that leaves you awake at night. Maybe it's the kind of heartache that, that allows tears to begin to fall down your face because uh, there's just some heartache in your life and you're thinking about a relationship or you're thinking about someone that's close to you and it hurts. And you're thinking, how do I allow my faith to dictate in this sort of situation if you've ever been lonely? And we're coming into a holiday season. We got Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And some of, you, some of you are coming into this season and you're thinking, I'm lonely. There's somebody else that I really wish was here. 
There's somebody else that's not going to be here this year that has been here before. Or, 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 or you just have a lack of relationship in your life even though you want something more. And you're saying, I'm lonely. Now, this sermon really is, is for anybody, if, if you've ever been betrayed by someone, if you've ever been betrayed and, and you have handed out trust to somebody else, I mean, not just in little pebbles, not like, oh, I'm going to give you a little bit. No, you have just, you have dumped like large uh, uh, sand pails of trust and vulnerability in someone else's bucket, and, and, and they have turned around and used what you have given them. If you have ever been betrayed, then this, this message from James is for you. If, if you have ever dealt with any kind of rebellion, uh, maybe that's from a child or, or maybe that's from a, a rogue employee, then, then you need to, to listen up. If, if you have ever felt, if you have ever felt like the world in which you live is kind of crushing itself down on you and, and you feel like Atlas and the weight of the world is upon your shoulders and you have to try and come up with all of the answers and you don't have any answers and there's all these expectations of you and you're not sure how your faith is going to be lived out in a really tough time, then you need to hear this. Because this morning, James really, quite frankly, he begins to give us an answer. He gives us a glimmer of hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if we're listening, uh, there's a way that we can go about living our life in which even when we have the weight of the world and the expectations upon our shoulders, that we can live out our faith. And so if you're at all interested and if any of those descriptions matches you, then I hope that you'll join me in the book of James this morning so that we can look at what God has to say when the weight of the world is on our shoulders. So open up. Would you, would you uh, go to uh, James chapter 5? Hebrews and then James. James is in the New Testament. James chapter 5. I'll give you a minute to get there. James chapter 5. What do we do when the weight of the world is on our shoulders? How do we respond well? How is it that we, that we rock our world in the, in the real world when the world is rocking us? Uh, James opens up and he, and he says, uh, quite frankly, well, when the world is rocking you, when you're being oppressed, when you have expectations, when you're facing the weight of the world, he says, I want you to look up. And I want you to wait with anticipation. I want you to know that Jesus is coming. I want you to know that there's hope at the end of the tunnel. There's a little light. There's a glimmer. And I don't want you to give up on it. Notice what he says. Look at verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Until the Lord's coming. Be patient until the Lord's coming. Don't you love little words? I love little words. Like, I go through the Bible and I get all giddy and excited about little words. If you didn't know this about me before you came in this morning, I'm just a nerd. 
Thank you for laughing at that, I think. But I am. I'm a little nerd. I, I, I just, I get real geeked out about uh, little words. And one of the little words that I just love, and James uses it here in verse 7, he says, uh, until the Lord's coming. It's that little word, until. I, I love the word, Until. I mean, think about all the things that follow the word until it's a word that just grows my anticipation, right? It means that I have to wait a little while. It means that I have to hold on for a little while. It means that that I have to hang on maybe for a little while until something is going to happen. Until is this super hopeful word that says, hey, something is going to happen. I just have to hang on and hold on and wait for just a little longer, right? I mean, think about the things that follow the word until. I have to complete papers. I have to do my homework until graduation, right? I mean, come on. Graduation is coming. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you in the workforce are thinking, I have to work, I have to work hard, I have to get up every day, I have to go to work until until retirement. Until we talk to those that are in retirement, okay? Right? But it's the power of until. Until something else. What's the power of until in your life? Maybe as parents, you're thinking, I have to have these children in my house until <laughs> college. <laughs> it's a great power until, isn't it? And James says, hey, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, those of you who call yourselves disciples of Jesus, if you feel the weight of the world upon your shoulders, wait Hang on. Hold on just a little bit longer. Why? Uh, Because Jesus is coming. Hang out until he comes. You see, the story of Jesus is that Jesus came. He was born. He lived. He ministered. He died. And he died so that you and I might live. He lived this perfect life. And he died on this cruel and ugly cross so that you and I would have the forgiveness of sins. Uh, But the greatest part is that he didn't just die. It wasn't like he was just a good guy and he decided that he would die for us. No, he was the perfect man and he was God. And he fulfilled all the things that were told about him and he came and and he died and then he resurrected. And it means when we talk about Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus dies and he resurrects, but he doesn't ever die again. When the Bible talks about this thing called the first fruits of resurrection, it really means uh, that, uh, that not only was Jesus resuscitated from the dead, not only did he awaken from death, but he never dies again. And that's the promise that he gave you and me. So when he resurrected, it was the first time that someone rose from the dead in which nobody, you know, this guy's never dying again. And he gave that promise to you and me. Now here's the thing. After he did that, he goes up on a mountain and he's with his disciples and he gives them a commission and he goes up to heaven. And there are the disciples and they're looking kind of up into heaven and he's like, oh, oh man, He left. 
Now what? And then the church begins. Now here's the deal. It's a law of physics. What goes up must come down. And James is saying, hey, he left. He went back up. But he's coming back. Church, don't forget that Jesus is coming back. Don't forget that Jesus is coming back. Live every single day of your life in the kind of anticipation that says Jesus might be coming back today. Perhaps today is the day that Jesus comes back. Live with the kind of hope that says until Jesus returns, the Lord's coming back. You have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Hang on. Hold on. Keep going. Keep waiting. Keep anticipating. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And the greatest part is that he says there's a reward. You see, for those who will wait well, for those who will wait with this kind of anticipation that says maybe today is the day, maybe today is the day, maybe today is the day, uh, for those kinds of people, he says there's a reward. Look at verse 8. He says, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. He's standing at the door. Wait well. Look at the end of verse 11. He says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Hey, the reward is when you will wait well, when you will see every day a glimmer, the Lord might be coming today. I can live in anticipation. The world might be crushing me. It might be rocking me right now. But I'm going to live in great anticipation that Jesus is going to come. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. I don't know. Uh, but He is coming. And when He does, when He does, I'm going to find compassion and mercy with Him. These things that I'm dealing with today, they're going to be gone because His compassion and mercy are going to be with me. I'm going to find that reward. I'm going to find the prize at the, at the end. That pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of compassion and mercy is going to be mine because I've waited well. I've waited in anticipation for what Jesus is going to do. When you and I will wait well. When we will wait with anticipation that Jesus may come today, we will find that there is compassion and mercy for us. So how do we wait? How good are you at waiting? How many of you love just sitting in line? How many of you just love that trip to the DMV? And you have to take a number. How many, of you, how many of you are just really looking forward to the crowds and the waiting that you're going to have to do uh, when you go shopping this Christmas season? Do you love that? How many of you just love sitting in traffic? Anybody? Okay. Am I the only one that just abhors sitting in traffic? It's awful. I hate waiting. And yet, 
And yet James says, hey, if you want the kind of compassion, if you want the prize of, and the reward of the kind of compassion uh, and mercy that Jesus is going to bring when He comes a final time, hey, you better be ready to wait and wait well. You know what? I love how He, he responds. He says, how should you wait? He says, look at the farmer. Check out the farmer. Look at what they do. Come on, Whiting, Iowa. We know some farmers, don't we? Look at the farmers in your life. He says, see, verse 7, he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. In other words, hey, farmers, how much control do you have Once you stick that seed in the ground, once you have prepared all the soil, once you have done all the work to try and get the ground ready, how much power do you have over whether or not that seed will germinate? Zero. You do everything in your power. You you coat the seeds. You make sure that everything's running well. Uh, You go out and prepare the soil. But once that once that seed goes in the soil, you got you have zero control, right? You got zero control over whether or not something's going to sprout up. So what do you have to do? James says you got to wait. You got to wait and watch. Is something going to happen? Hey, once that crop begins to come up, farmers, once that crop begins to come up, hey, gang, once we start to see in the spring all the fields starting to come alive, that seed has germinated, right? It's starting to grow. How much control do we have over whether it rains? I mean, we, we, can, we can do all sorts of things, can't we? I mean, we can spray and we can try and get the bugs out and, and we can go and cultivate the fields and make sure everything's going really well. But how much power, how much control do we have over the rain coming? Not. We don't really, do we? And James is saying, hey, if you watch farmers long enough, they'll figure it out. They know what they have control over and they know what they don't have control over. You know what? If you want to wait well so that you can experience the compassion and the mercy that Jesus has waiting for you, if you want to wait well so that you can receive that prize at the end, if you want that crown that Jesus has for you at the end, he says, you got to be patient. You gotta hold on. You gotta wait well. You gotta know what you have control over and what you don't have control over. So, what in the world does James give us in in waiting? He says, you need to look at the farmer and and wait well, but how in the world do we do that? Notice three things that he says in this passage. He says in verse 9, hey, Be sure that you're not grumbling and complaining with one another. He says, don't grumble against one another. Verse 9, brothers and sisters, or you're going to be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Hey, is anybody else like me? And and when you begin to feel stress, and you begin to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, and there's a little more expectation uh, being placed upon you, and, and, and there's some things happening outside of your control. Is it just me, or, or 
Or are there opportunities for you to begin to complain? Are there opportunities for you to begin to grumble against those whom you should love? You see, James is talking about uh, the, those opportunities when, when everything seems to be crushing down on us, when the expectations of life, uh, do you begin, do you begin to, to look at one another, maybe even in the church, uh, do you begin to look at one another and start grumbling and complaining against one another? Do you begin to go, I know this isn't all that important, but I just don't like it, and I'm going to criticize that person over there, uh, maybe because uh, they're not experiencing the kind of oppression that you're experiencing, and you don't like it, and that's not quite fair. Do we ever do that? Do we ever allow our stress and our expectations and what's happening outside to begin to dictate the pace of some of the relationships that we have inside? And we grumble and we argue. And, and James is simply saying, hey, if you're going to have an eternal perspective about Jesus coming a final time, then I want you to know that Jesus is really near. Did you notice what he said at the end of verse 9? He says, the judge is right at the door. And he's talking about proximity. He's talking about how close Jesus really is. He's saying, hey, keep in mind... Keep in mind that when Jesus does return, you're going to have to be accountable to the words that you have said. So wait well. Don't grumble against one another. Don't criticize one another. You want that prize? You want the compassion and the mercy? Then don't grumble against one another. Now it's interesting, that's not the only thing he says. In verse 12, he's going to come back and he's going to say, hey, uh, you need to be honest. Uh, you need to allow your words to be spoken with truth. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, don't, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to do is simply say yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Hey, if you want to wait well in anticipation for what the Lord is going to bring, uh, then, then simply be honest. There are some scholars in this particular verse that, that have said hey, James is borrowing from Jesus. Jesus had said, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't take stupid oaths. But there's some scholars that have said it's more than just a, a level of honesty. It, it's a, I'm not going to allow myself to speak dishonestly in order to try and one-up someone else. If you want to wait well, then in these relationships that we have with one another, uh, we need to be honest and truthful, uh, speak with conviction, and not take stupid oaths. We need not to say uh, strange things like, I promise and I vow unless actually we're going to follow through on something. Uh, some scholars believe that, uh, that there's a, a background here that Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, he was sold out by some of his friends and they lied and allowed their yes to mean that he was in prison even though it was a lie. And maybe there's a time when in your life you could speak dishonestly so that you could save yourself a consequence. And James is saying, hey, that's, that's not how you wait. If you're going to wait well in anticipation for whatever the Lord will bring, 
then make sure that you're honest and you're trustworthy. The third thing he says in verse 13 is he said, hey, you got to pray. you got to pray. And don't just pray once in a while. Pray all the time. Notice all the things he asks us to be in prayer for. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. If any among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Hey, if you want to wait well, if you want to experience the compassion and the mercy, if you want to hold on like nobody else's business, uh, then perhaps what you need to do is find yourself a corner where you can pray. Perhaps it means that your knees hit the floor a little more often and you recognize, God, there's nothing that I can do. There's, there's, a, there's some situations that I'm powerless over. I can't control the outcome, but I can pray to you and you can control the outcome. God, I'm, I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to pray that you would come, first of all. I'm going to pray that this thing that we have anticipated for seemingly so long, oh Lord Jesus, come quickly. Would you come so that we can all experience the compassion and the mercy that you have in store for us? Begin to pray. James says, you want to wait well, start praying. And he even gives us some examples, doesn't he? He gives us some examples that we can follow. There's actually people in our world who have already done this before us. Isn't that good news? That there are actual people that are just like you and me who have been oppressed, who have had expectations placed on them, who have had the world rock them as they try and rock the world. (laughs) And James says, hey, there's some people that have gone before you who have already done this, and you might want to look in their direction if you want to see what it's like. He says, brothers and sisters, in verse 10, check out the prophets. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Look at the prophets. Now, if you're new to the church, the prophets are kind of right in the middle of your Bible. There's major prophets, and that doesn't mean they're more important. The major prophets are just longer. Those are books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And if you read through these, they're incredible. But oftentimes, these prophets were oppressed. They were speaking truth on, the, on behalf of God to a people, guess what? They didn't want to listen. Can you imagine poor Isaiah? Isaiah is called by God, and, and here's what his call sounded like. God comes to Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, guess what? I want you to go and speak a word to my people. But Isaiah, I want you to accept a ministry where nobody's going to listen to you, but I want you to do that faithfully, Okay? How would you like that? Hey, guess what? You're going to be the preacher and you're going to stand up every Sunday and nobody's ever going to listen to you. How does that sound? That was Jeremiah or that was Isaiah. When you get to when you get to Jeremiah, you you recognize, right? Uh, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He also writes lamentations. He's lamenting 
He's weeping over all of God's people. He too has been given a word from the Lord, and he goes out and he faithfully preaches. And you know what happens to Jeremiah? Jeremiah's friends, whom he's known his whole life, turn him in and turn him over so that they don't have to face the consequences uh, for those that want to have Jeremiah's life. And so you know what happens to Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, I'm going to preach faithfully, and he ends up in a mucky pit. Some kind of call, huh? And so he has to be patient with, with everybody. And, and maybe you've heard of Daniel. Daniel is taken as really a young boy. Uh, here come uh, a foreign army, and they take the, 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 uh, the prodigies. They take the, the young people, and they take Daniel, and he has to grow up, and they give him a new name. That's not a name that he grew up with. It wasn't the name that he was born with. Can you imagine? Someone comes in, take, yanks you from uh, your mother's arms, uh, says, hey, this is how it's going to be. We're going to give you a new name. We're going to give you a new education, and you have to live the way we do. Except Daniel says, no, I'm still going to be faithful to God. And what happens to Daniel? Oh, I know, some of you are saying, well, he rose in prominence, and he did, but there were some people that didn't like it. And you know the story. Uh, eventually, uh, Daniel is faithful long enough uh, that he has to face the oppression of some people that don't like him, and he gets thrown into a pit with a bunch of hungry, ravenous lions. James says, hey, you want an example of the kind of patience of people who have done this before? Hey, open up the Bible and look at the prophets. But that's not the only example. Did you notice the other example that he gives you? It's one who was faithful through many things. If there was someone who understood what disappointment with God looked like, if there was someone who knew uh, what it was like to feel the oppression and the weight of the world upon his shoulders when things didn't go well, it was Job. If you go back into chapter 5, recognize what uh, James says about Job. He says, verse 11, As you know, we count as blessings those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen that the Lord has and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. If you go back into the early portions of your Bible, you're going to find the book of Job. And Job is, is really all about a, a book where our Satan uh, has this conversation with God, and he looks down and he sees Job, and he's been faithful to God, and, and Satan says to God, hey, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you have given him all kinds of blessings. The only reason that Job is, is trusting you, God, is because you have given him all sorts of favor. And if I were to take all of that favor away, he would curse you. And God goes, okay. Here's my one thing. You can't kill him. And so the story of Job is that Job had everything and he loved his family and he, and he loved his home, and he had many herds, and he had probably lots of wealth, and, it, and in the snap of a fingers, it's all taken away. Satan oppresses Job, and he kills all of his children, and he takes away his herds. And you know what? Job perseveres. He stands firm. He says, 
Hey, can I say that God can only give me good things, but He can't give me hard things? And there are people in Job's life going, you should curse God. You should get rid of this stuff. You need, to, you, need to, you need to take your faith and throw it out into the ocean and get rid of it. And Job says, I can't curse God. And when that wasn't enough, Satan comes back to God and there's another conversation. And he goes, you need to let me have Job. And he goes, okay, you can't kill him. But he gives him an illness. And he's covered in sores. And he doesn't know what to do, but he won't curse God. And he's faithful through all of it. And the end, maybe like you, Job gets down on his knees and he looks up to heaven and he goes, God, why? Why am I having to deal with all of this? Give me an explanation. But God doesn't give him an explanation. He gives him a question. God says, Job, were you there when I created everything? Were you there when I created the land and the snowflakes and the mountains and the seas? Were you there? No. And Job confesses, okay, okay, I'll trust you. And James is saying to any one of you in this room who's experiencing loneliness or depression or the feeling of being defeated or you're facing rebellion or if there's heartache or if there's been betrayal, he's saying, hang on. Hang on. Hold on. Be patient. Wait well, because Jesus is coming. Anticipate, because Jesus is coming. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your compassion and your mercy, your love, and, and your abounding goodness. And I pray, Lord God, that, that all of us, no matter what we're facing, that, Lord, you'll teach us and you'll help us to anticipate well. And we can take the example of those in, in your word. And Lord, we'll learn to wait well. I pray, Father, that when we are struggling, that we'll not lash out at other Christians, that we'll not lash out at one another, that we'll have control of our tongue. Lord, I pray that as we, as we wait and we... We want circumstances to be different, Lord, that we'll be nothing but truthful and honest with one another. I pray, Lord, that in moments like this, we'll get on our knees and we'll do what we're doing right now and we'll pray. Lord, help us to know that others have gone before us. Lord, we eagerly anticipate your mercy and your compassion that you have in store for us. Lord, would you come quickly? Would you not wait another moment? Before this day is over, Lord, would you come? And if not, if it's not today, if it's not today, help us to wait well and live in anticipation of your coming. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name.